Like we were essentially designed to break and realizing my body not breaking or realizing how much I'm actually able to deliver. And then when you're put in those scenarios that I was able to deliver and have a smile on my face and still hug my friend and still keep my head head high and I was not thinking of cheating or cutting corners. You never know what your true colors are until you are in, in those situations. I really enjoyed the colors that I saw. If you haven't watched or heard of the newest reality TV series, The Apprentice One Championship Edition, have you been living under a rock? This series is now the second most watched show on Netflix in Singapore, and it is trending worldwide. 16 participants from all over the world compete for the chance to win a $250,000 contract and the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be the protege and chief of staff of One Championship's CEO and lifelong martial artist, Chatri Sityodong. One Championship is the largest martial arts media property in Asia, and so it is no surprise that this TV series is a marriage of physical endurance and business acumen to find the perfect professionally skilled corporate athlete and someone who matches the One Championship DNA to a T. On today's episode, we speak to Jessica Ramella. Yes, spoiler alert. She is the inaugural grand winner of the Apprentice One Championship Edition, and we speak to her on her surreal experience winning the Apprentice and other lessons learned on the journey so far. This conversation was raw, inspiring, and will definitely inspire you to show up fully in life. Enjoy! Hi, this is Janice. And I'm Sarah N. And we're your hosts for Explore This, a podcast for the modern-day working professional. Each week, we explore actionable insights on how you can thrive personally and professionally. Welcome, Jessica, to the Explore This podcast. We've chatted a couple of times on WhatsApp now and can totally tell that we will get along so well in real life. So we're super stoked to have you on the Explore This podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be just talking to you guys and spending some, some time together. And I think I agree. I think uh, we should get together and have a drink and just have a laugh together. Yeah, I can't wait for that to happen in real life when this COVID shenanigans passes on. So a little confession on my part, it was my mom, like I mentioned earlier, who first watched the show and then got hooked on the series way before me. And initially when she talked about The Apprentice, I was like, I have no idea what was going on with the show. But she told me that I would really enjoy the series and also it would remind me of my MBA days. And that's when I realized Janice had gotten on the series and I'm like, I'm going to get on it too. So we're so happy to firstly congratulate you for being a winner on The Apprentice, the inaugural winner. And so we'd love to kickstart with a fun rapid fire question for you. And are you ready? For yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to be afraid of. Okay, it's all ready. fun and games. I was born ready. Shoot. <laughs> you are born ready indeed. So to kickstart, which was your favorite business challenge on The Apprentice? The cooking challenge. So whenever we had to make like the, the menu for Latte Korea. I remember that. Least favorite physical challenge? Fighting Irina and being made into like some sort of pretzel. I hate it. <laughs> I oh heard you gosh. say once you had to eat the ground for that challenge. I generally thought I was going to die. <laughs> and what is, what is the most interesting or unconventional job you've ever taken up? I used to serve ice cream in the shape of roses when I lived in London. <laughs> I'm a Reno. Yes. Oh, we know Amarino. Oh, you have served. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Quality ice cream, we got to say. Yeah, really good. I used to make the little roses with a little beret, you know? Nice. Most important attribute of a successful leader? Kindness. 
And final one, what's one misconception that people often have about you? They think that I'm a hard ass and actually I'm a massive softie. Aww. <laughs> And, you know, as we're going to talk throughout this episode, I think we're going to find out a lot more about you. So let's just dive right into it. Jessica, can you share with us what was your journey like growing up in Venezuela and a defining moment in your childhood that has shaped you to be the person that you are today? My childhood and childhood in Venezuela as a whole, for me at least, it was really privileged. You know, I, I come from a two-parent household and I'm an only child. And my parents were incredibly loving. I never... I was never really missing anything. I grew up in Caracas, which is the capital of Venezuela, and it's a bit of like a concrete jungle. So there's not a lot of like parks and, and things like that that you can kind of like go and leave your kids to play for hours with other kids. Also, like Venezuela can be a little bit dangerous. So it's not like the common thing to just run around free, I guess, like in many other countries you could do. So for that reason, I spent a lot of time at home with my mom because my mom was a stay-at-home mom and my dad was working. And because I was an only child, I spent a lot of my time with adults. I think also being surrounded to, with adults, I became this very like assertive, opinionated, <laughs> talking to everyone all the time. My parents talked to me a bit like an adult. They never tried to like sugarcoat things or lie to me. So I think that really helped into, I guess, shaping my communication skills, which I think is probably one of my key assets today. And then on top of that, I think growing up, I always felt like I was a little bit of a fish out of water. I felt like I was a little bit different and I never really knew exactly why or how, but I knew that I just didn't belong. And I think my parents could have had two, two choices. And, and actually, instead of trying to force me back into a box, they just celebrated my individuality and, and they were okay with me being a little bit strange. But um, as a kid, Something that I discovered that changed the curse of my life was to do my first theater play. So at the end of every school year, we had to be kind of like an end of school play. And, you know, we all had to audition and, and do a little bit of a part. And we were auditioning for The Beauty and the Beast. And, you know, I was in an all-girls school, remember this. So they say, okay, who wants to be the beauty? And of course, a million girls put their, their hands up. And including me, because I wanted to be the lead. And when I saw that all the girls had their hand up, I was like, because they said, we're going to have four beauties. We're going to have kind of like the town beauty, the winter beauty, you know, the castle beauty, and then the yellow dress, like the one that gets the prince beauty. And I was like, mm, no, I want to be the lead. And I was like, how many beasts are we going to have? And they were like, one. And I was like, boom. And I was the only girl that put her hand up for the beast. And lo and behold, I was the beast. And I think that was like, a life-changing moment for me. I remember my dad being like, I'm going to call the school. I need to complain. There's no kid that can memorize so much text. This is too advanced. And I was there like, tw, 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 tw. I remember I memorized my script like it was tattooed on my skin. And I think I rock that beast. I did an amazing job. My mom gave me this crazy costume. And I was just a tiny, I was like seven years old, you know, but at that time I already realized not only that I enjoyed performing, that I enjoyed communicating and being in front of others, that I also had no problem being the weirdo that was a little bit different and, and that I had a blast and that I was more than capable to learn all, all that text. So if we translate that in a way into like apprentice and memorizing pitches and selling, I think like all of that in a long way around kind of ended up here. That's so incredible to hear how that childhood story of when you're seven years old has led you to where you are today. But before we get to your apprentice experience, and we'd love to hear more about 
all the crazy, what was it, eight weeks that you you were involved in that kind of literally turned your life around. Tell us a little bit more about post-childhood after you left Venezuela at 18 and how that journey has led you to Asia and where you ended up being interviewed later on to be part of The Apprentice. So at 18, I left as soon as I graduated high school, literally like a week after I was in a plane to the US and I started going to community college. I was lucky enough that at that time I had passed kind of like the TOEFL, which is the English test. And my dad had told me, if you don't pass that test on your own and figure it out, I'm not sending you to the US because I'm not sending you to study English. He doesn't believe in like language schools. So I had to like learn English, like watching TV. I would listen to lyrics and translate them and all this type of stuff. I passed the test and then I moved to the US and I started school pretty much straight after. And, and that during that period, I, I had to like really cram everything in just because it was incredibly expensive for me to stay there for my parents. It was just not something that, I mean, international student fees are crazy, but international student fees for someone coming from Venezuela where like the dollars in the black market is absolutely insane. And from there, I couldn't continue applying to college there because it was impossible to, for us to pay it. And I decided to move to London. I have an Italian passport. My family is half Italian. I thought, you know, I'll move to London. It looks like a cool, dynamic city. People speak English, which I already now speak. Maybe I can just go there and apply as a European. And that was originally the plan. And I got rejected a million times and a half. And I wasn't able to get subsidized fees. And then I was already too old and I didn't have a CV to match my degree. Essentially, I got rejected a million times. So I started just working and I started working at Amarino. That was my first job. And from there, I worked my way into, you know, working at the Apple store. And from there, I continued into being an executive assistant and then kind of like the sales assistant for a group of salespeople, sales manager, business development, until I was, well, before the show, I was uh, the, the head of sales for a software company. Love it. And how did that lead you to The Apprentice? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, many jobs later, and this is now five or six years after I've moved to Singapore, I'm already like fully embedded in the society. I was having lunch and my lunch break in the office by myself. And I got a text from a friend and she texted me and she said, hey, Jess, I don't know if you've heard about this, but they're casting for The Apprentice. And I know the producers and they were talking that they're just looking for more women in business to apply. And that if I knew anyone and I started scrolling through my phone and all of a sudden, when I saw your name, I was like, yes, I know the perfect person. And I was like, what? So then she sends me the link to the show and I was like, thank you so much. I'm so flattered, but I'm never going to be on reality TV, especially not a show that calls itself like the toughest anything in history. I was just like, nope. <laughs> So she was like, please think about it. I think you'll be amazing. And I was like, also, they're not going to get a girl from Venezuela. Like people don't even know where my country is. You know, she was like, no, actually, this is going to be the first international apprentice ever. I think you should apply, consider it, you know, just send an audition. What do you have to lose? And I was just like, I'm not sure. You know, let me see. That evening I got home and I was researching about The Apprentice, about one, about Chatri. I watched a bunch of videos from Chatri and I realized that Chatri and I had a lot of similarities in our background. So essentially, we both left our countries at a time of crisis. Our fathers left the home around 18, 20 when we were that age. Our moms were stay-at-home moms. And when the father leaves the family and we are overseas, now it's kind of like our responsibility to take 
care of our mom. So we had a lot of little similarities like that. And it just felt like too much of a coincidence. You know, it was a weird coincidence that this girl texted me. But now that this guy had exactly the same sort of journey and struggle, I was like, okay, this is like the universe being like, hello, here's the door, walk. So I was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't ignore this. And I should actually try it. What's the worst that could happen? And I just kind of like applied, you know, and three months later, I was winning the whole thing. (laughs) And, you know, for the benefit of our listeners who have not had the chance to watch this epic apprentice, right? What makes this apprentice so different than the ones we've all been accustomed to previously is the fact that there is a very strenuous physical element that came alongside the business challenge. Did you prepare beforehand and gear yourself up, go to the gym every single day and basically just get yourself as toned and fit as possible? So for me, I took it more like make sure that you are healthy, that you sleep well, things like that, which I was doing. But at the same time, I think a part of me was like, well, I'm going to look my best possible ever on TV, number one. And number two, like I have no idea what they're throwing at me. But not today, Satan. Literally, I was just like, I was working out six days a week. I was like eating like a rabbit, but like a very healthy rabbit, good quantities. And I was just like sleeping. I even went to therapy before the show because I was like, I don't know what this is going to do to me. I don't know how this is going to affect me. I don't know if I'm going to get eliminated on episode one, if I'm going to win. I don't know if my life is ever going to change. I need you to meet me today on this mindset so you can help me whenever this is over. So I really, really prepared. I watched every episode of the US and UK Apprentice. I, I did my homework. <laughs> I, I I really trained and tried and I just got myself in like top physical shape and not only like physically, but mentally, I guess also spiritually. I, I, I did everything I could essentially to be able to surrender into the experience and not have to worry about anything but the competition at hand. And that showed, I think like, you know, in every single episode, you showed up physically in the boardroom, under the ships, in the water. You really showed up. You know, we can only imagine these past few months must have been an absolute whirlwind for you after you won The Apprentice, right? Could you just take us back to the moment when it was announced that you were the one, the grand winner of The Apprentice? What was going through your mind at the time when you were sitting in that boardroom with your fellow finalists, Louis Sangalang, and you had Chatri sitting right before you? What was that whole experience like? Actually, as you're asking that question, I get immediate like goosebumps. Actually, I have like such a strong attachment to that moment. It was one of the the weirdest, strongest moments of my life. I'll tell you a little bit of a backstory just so you understand. The producers manufacture it in a way that I was 100% sure that I had lost because they wanted to make sure that they got a reaction from me. And this is like the beauty of, of reality TV. To me, everything that happened to me was... 100% real. There's no scripts, there's no nothing, but if they're good at their job, they're going to get whatever reaction they want from you by essentially pressing the right buttons, right? And what happened was the day before I show up to wardrobe and I realized that Louis has a full Hugo Boss suit and they were giving me like a trouser with like a jumper. And I was like, wait, am I wearing that for the finale? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, I don't think so. and we were not supposed to leave the hotel. That was against the rules. And I called the executive producer and I said, I'm getting in a cab and I'm going to go buy a dress. If I'm going down tomorrow, I'm going down with class and I'm wearing a dress. Like this is not happening. And then she was like, you have two hours. And I ran into Takashimaya. I bought like 10 dresses, whatever could fit me. And I took them to wardrobe the next day. And I was like, pick. And then they picked the one that I used. But 
that was clue number one. Clue number two is whenever we are getting ready to go into wardrobe, the producers come back to me and they said, okay, just to prep you, this is not going to be a wardrobe like before. You're not going to be talking a lot. Like you're actually going to get a brief of your journey from Chatri and Niharika. And then you're going to get maybe like a minute or two to give some your final words. And then that's it. And then we go into awarding the apprentice. I mean, at this point, I'm already shaking. I'm crying. You know, she keeps like screaming because I'm ruining my makeup. I'm already like trembling. Also, they put me in the tightest dress ever. So I haven't eaten anything since the night before. Because again, I wanted to look good on TV. And I was also too nervous, to be honest. And when I'm about to like go in, she says, have you figured out what you're going to say? You cannot ramble. We only have two minutes. And I was just like, well, I'm just going to say like what I've done, what I think is my value, why I think that he should pick me. And then she goes, Jessica, you've said this a million times already. And she was like, just take this time to say thank you. Like be grateful for the opportunity. And just also, if you have fans out there, let them know that whatever happens tonight, you're going to be okay. So when she told me that, I was like, oh, so that's clue number two. And I was like, okay, so I definitely lost. And then my clue number three was like, look, Louis was a martial artist. He's a cancer survivor. He is from Philippines, which is not only the biggest market for one, but also like a huge rabbit fan base. Also is Asia. Also, he never had any negativity around him in the show, like me with Nazi and with all the other uh, drama that followed me. He had an impeccable record in a way, and he was very capable. And I was just like, there's no way that I won. You know, I was so sure that I had lost. So when I'm standing there and, you know, the lights are flickering on top of us, I was shaking like I've never shaked before. In fact, they had to cut several times because I was either crying or shaking. And it was like black tears of mascara. And the producers were like, stop! <laughs> you know, I couldn't control my body. I didn't know what was happening. And the moment when he goes and says, Jessica, I, I think I blacked out and I came back to life. I was like, thank you. Uh, 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 and I started like crying, shaking. Then I go back to hug Chatri, and Chatri had me almost like held by the shoulders. He's like, are you okay? I was about to collapse. My knees were not holding me. I was so shocked. I think I remained in shock actually for like four hours after that. I could barely even speak. They were trying to interview me in my exit interview, what you see at the end. And I was just like stuck in a loop. I couldn't say anything else. I was like, I won, I won, I won. <laughs> I was like, I need to call my mom. <laughs> and I have goosebumps right now, like listening to the whole story. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, and just imagining being in your shoes, right? Even when you're sharing the story back with us again, I just can't even imagine being in your shoes. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I feel like I blacked out. I'm telling you this and I'm about to cry and I'm starting to sweat. Like my body gets transported. It was just such an intense experience. One of the episodes that also really stood out to me was when Chatri commented on the fact that he felt he didn't really get to know who the real Jessica was. He mentioned something like you were still hiding or you were still holding something back. And I think since then, it appeared like you learned to open up a little bit more to show your vulnerable side. So share with us very much in contrast to your winning episode, what was that experience like for you when you realized that it was okay to be vulnerable and authentically you on reality TV? You know, for me, that moment was incredibly difficult because I understood where he was coming from because it's true. He had never seen the real me. You know, he's only seen me in the boardroom. I've never been in the bottom three. He's only like essentially grasping to whatever he sees at that time. And that's my time to be professional and firm and just, you know, 
be not as non-emotional as possible. Now, as he says this, like anyone from episode one, I am the most raw, you know, soft person. I am a ball of love. I'm constantly dancing and joking and crying. I have a lot of energy and personality trapped in this body. So when he was telling me, like, I don't know who you really are. I don't know if you're here for the right reasons. I don't know if you have heart. I was like, are you? Are you kidding me? No one in my life has ever told me that. If anything, people have always told me that I'm the complete opposite, that I'm too much, you know, that I'm like the crazy Latina or whatever. I was just so shocked by the entire comment because I was like, how can you not see that if I have this relationship with everyone around me, it must be that I actually I'm different to what you're saying. And also, how are you expecting to know me if you're not spending any time with me? I remember, and this is something that got cut. I was like, look, if the only way for you to get to know me is to be in the bottom three, then I volunteer to be in the bottom three. And I said, and if you don't want to put me in the bottom bottom three, let's go for a coffee or for a beer. Let's have a chat, you know, give me the time. I I felt frustrated because I was like, how do I manufacture this moment, right? And you spend a lot of time talking to the producers in the back end when you're getting interviewed, you know, those snippets that you see, those are really long interviews. You get interviewed maybe for like two hours a day. So in those interviews, a lot of times it's a bit of your sounding board. You know, they, they ask you, okay, what are you going to do? So what, what do you feel about this? They never tell you what to do or how to act, but it's very much like they can see the human side of you is struggling and lost also. I mean, at the end of the day, they also like, as a friend, have a conversation with you. And I remember saying, I don't know how to show him who I am without spending time with him. And they're like, well, maybe you need to create that moment. And I was like, so... Essentially, for me to show my authentic self, I need to create an artificial moment to then demonstrate to him that I'm authentic. If anything, that's probably exactly what I shouldn't be doing, right? And then at that moment, I decided that that I was just not going to do it. I was not going to force myself to cry. I was not going to be like, hi, Chadri, my dad left me. You know, like I just couldn't do that. I wanted it to happen naturally if it did. And if it didn't, it didn't. So it was really difficult because when he said that, I I realized like I had so many ideas and so many questions in my mind of what to do. And I think that's maybe like an episode later or two episodes later that you see me snapping. That's essentially me like cooking this thought for three weeks and three episodes of, you know, accused of being too perfect and having all my heart in the right place. And then not sure that if they know me, if I believe in dreams and, you know, if I am too heartbroken to ever be healed again and all of these things. I remember the moment exactly he goes, I I don't know if you have any heart. And when he said heart, I remember, and this gets cut, but, and you see me like when I do the snap, it's like a weird moment. I go like, uh, and I talk, that's not how it happened. I said, heart, I'm all fucking heart. And I started screaming and that's how I started. And it was like a good five minutes that I shouted at Chadri. I was done. I was like grasping for air. I knew that I was about to get eliminated. And I was like, you can eliminate me for being incompetent, for not being good, for not being a team player, but I'm not going to go out here with anyone thinking that my heart is not in the right place or that I have no principles. Like I was like, no. And that was it. And I remember Niharika trying to talk to me and I kept, I raised my hand like, no, I've never done something like that in my life. I don't know where that came out of. Thank God it did. And thank God that Chachi was kind enough to accept it and see the positive instead of the negative. But yeah, I think like that's the entire story around like stripping myself, I guess, emotionally in front of the world. Wow. Even in the sanitized version, as an audience, I could really feel the 
frustration, the anguish and everything that came out of you. And I can only imagine, you know, the entire experience being just testing your limits intellectually, physically, spiritually, like you mentioned, emotionally, every single way. I'm really curious to actually know, was there any lesson that you feel you had to learn the hard way about maybe an actualization about yourself that you previously had not known before The Apprentice? Was there anything new you learned about yourself? I did learn several things that there were more like, not necessarily learnings, but maybe realizations. I feel like one of the most important ones and the positive side of things, let's start there, was I realized how much I'm actually capable of. I think when you're in this situation, we were pushed mentally, physically, emotionally, like we were essentially designed to break and realizing my body not breaking or realizing how much I'm actually able to deliver. And then when you're put in those scenarios that I was able to deliver and have a smile on my face and still hug my friend and still keep my head head high. And I was not thinking of cheating or cutting corners. You never know what your true colors are until you are in in those situations. I really enjoyed the colors that I saw. You know, I remember going into the show, telling my friends that I was afraid that if someone tried to accuse something of me in the boardroom, that was true. And I knew that that was going to be my demise, that I would lie. And then the world would see that I was going to lie. I thought that maybe my survival mode would try to like lie and get herself out of it just because out of, out of fear. And I'm so glad that actually it's not true. I still remain true to myself when in those moments. So that was one of them realizing how much I'm capable of and who I truly am in moments of maximum stress, of maximum exhaustion, of fear, of doubt, of, you know, anything. So in that sense, I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself. And I think on the less positive side, when I realized that the, the team that I was in had gotten together to get me eliminated and they were like necessarily not talking uh, well about me. And every time I made a comment, they were rolling their eyes. I think that there was one night that they ordered dinner for everyone and they just didn't order for me. I guess it triggered some traumas from school, uh, from high school that I thought I had fully gotten over. I thought, you know, being bullied in high school, I'm, I'm over it. Now I'm an adult. This cannot touch me. And actually, I think what happened is that I had not been bullied in my adult years ever. And all of a sudden, this took me back to like 16-year-old Jess, you know? So it was really interesting for me to navigate that and to see how it affected me or how it made me feel quite insecure or I was sad that I was not liked. And I was just like, Jess, what do you care about this people not liking you? I was like, you know, and I had like this, almost these two conversations inside me of like adult Jess being like, hello, this doesn't matter. Focus on what you need to do. Let them look at you and you look at the finish line. And then the other side was like, but why? I want everyone to like me. So I think it was even after the show, it took me a while to get over that. And I kept thinking that they were stealing from my experience and maybe I went into a bit of victim mentality. So I think it allowed for a lot of self-reflection and to actually confront and deal with those unfinished feelings that I had inside and also realize that you know, I needed them in my journey for me to shine. So in that sense, I'm actually grateful that they were there. Thank you so much, Jess, for being just so real with those honest and true reflections that you have. And I think the beauty of you walking out of this entire competition as the inaugural winner with your head held high about how you acted, how you reacted, how you responded, and how you still stayed true to your values. That That is so precious. And that's something that no matter what, can never be taken away from you. I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm actually very happy that I managed to do that. <laughs> I'm not sure how, but like, uh, I you am should very be proud. very proud of yourself. Yeah. 
Because I remember saying that before, and I said on the show, like I said, I'm willing to do everything except lose my principles. And I didn't want to look back into this experience with regret, even if I lost, you know, I wanted to look at it as something that I was incredibly proud to like show the world. And that's what I am now. And I'm super happy. Of course, the results are even better. But in that regard, I really can't complain. I'm very blessed. Yes, obviously, the 250,000 is definitely a cherry on the top. (laughs) And Jessica, in the show, Chachi also pointed out that you had very high EQ and IQ and essentially the whole package of being a high PhD, poor, hungry and determined factor. And he referred to you as someone that had a lot of fire in your belly. And that's something that he recognized very quickly. You had the creativity, people skills, and you basically had a very natural leadership ability as well. So in your personal opinion, what was it that made you really stand out the way you did during the entire competition? I think it's essentially my people skills. Like, I think that was mainly not only my differentiating factor from in the entire competition, but also probably with Louis. I'm a really personal person. I love people. I love to get to know people like deeply and entirely. And as you can hear in this conversation, and it's not because it's a podcast, I, I am an open book. I like to talk about experiences and what I feel and what I've thought and what I've lived and get to learn also from other people's right so I'm never one person that will just sit down and tell you like oh what do you do this weekend okay cool I want to know I want to find out I ask real questions and I like to to really connect people create a bond with me quickly and they trust me quickly so in that regard I think it helped me create a very good relationship with my peers a a relationship of, of respect It also allows me to kind of create a relationship really quickly with judges or guest judges or people that I was selling to. I have a very good intuition so I can feel the room. I can feel your energy and I can just judge. Do I go crazy energy, low energy? You know, like I need to measure where I'm at. But in that sense, I feel like I'm good as a chameleon that I can adapt. And all of those shades of my chameleon are very much me. They're not ever fake. It's just I can adjust very much to situations easily. So I would say that's probably one of my differentiating factors. Yeah. I would even add, you know, aside from your chameleon factor, the fact that you're able to bond and we could also see on the show, you had a very strong bond with like Monica and with Irina as well. And definitely, you know, in terms of the people skills, you're someone who has managed to really hone that and display that on a reality TV show that could be very, very brutal. But something else that really made you stand out as well is your sales experience and it has really played out in some of the different challenges that you had. There's one challenge in particular where you had to actually make sales and you did, you hit your targets like way over and beyond. So we're going to switch gears a bit and talk about having a sales experience because we do have a lot of listeners who are, you know, young working professionals, some of them in sales career, some of them maybe aspiring sales professionals. So we would like to hear from you. Why do you think that people should have sales experience and why sales is a key trait of being able to thrive and succeed in the workplace. Oh my God. I am so passionate about this because tell us more. What I, if I knew then what I know now, I would have not fought it and I would have just jumped in, you know, head first. I ended up in sales essentially by accident. I I used to think of sales as kind of like, a bit of like a dirty job, you know, no one wants to be the salesman that's trying to push an agenda and trying to get money. It didn't feel like it was something to be proud of, but it was the only job that I could get at that time. Okay. And what I mean at that time, when you're starting in sales and anyone listening will know what sales means in the beginning of your career is a phone monkey. You're going to be 
cold calling, cold calling, cold calling, which is essentially most people's definition of hell. So that was my only option. And I just jumped in and I started sort of like hitting the phones, as we say, and just trying to like figure out how to make money. And a lot of times sales jobs are based on commission and you don't have a base and things like that. And, you know, they're a bit of a risk. But then I started then realizing like, how is this any different to me being an entrepreneur? The harder I work, the more money I make, you know, or the more I focus on this, on my business, which is essentially the island of my desk, the more my business grows. And exactly with that mentality, as things started to shift in my mind, I realized, okay, but as a salesperson, I'm not only the only the one in front of the client, I'm also talking to the vendors because I need to make sure that I'm selling something that exists. I'm also working with marketing because I need to give them collateral. I'm also working with the ops team because I need to make it happen. And I realized that the salespeople are literally the, the center of connectivity between all points of the business. So even though I was working in sales, I was learning so much about the other departments. And it was the only job where no one would ask me to do anything. And all I did was for me, for my business, for my growth, for my clients, for my relationships. So, you know, for me, it was like, actually, maybe the universe had something going on when, when they put me here. And, you know, I started sort of to fall in love with, with the profession and starting to realize how many transferable skills it had. If I wanted to go back to school, if I wanted to change career completely, if I wanted to go into anything, become an entrepreneur, I knew that everything I learned at sales was going to help me in the way. And let me tell you, everything we do in life, what I'm telling you right now, the makeup I put in the morning, the clothing that you pick to go on a date, the way that you decide to talk to anyone on the street, that's a sale. You are selling yourself, your time, your product. You're trying to convince someone to like you, to listen to this podcast, to want to date you again. All of this is sales. And when you start realizing that, you're like, oh my God, I can actually work at this, become good at this, make good money on this, network like crazy. And at the same time, I can develop incredible communication skills. I can actually learn about different areas of business. I can probably then pitch my own business in the future to investors. I can probably be better communicator in my relationships with my friends. There, there's so much out there that you can do. And to be honest, if I'm ever lucky enough to be a mom, my kids, the moment that they turn 15, every summer are going to go work in a call center. And I'm sorry, they can hate me, but this is something that I have decided and that's what they're going to do. Yep. That's my answer. <laughs> I think I'm sold, Jessica. I'm sold. You got me. <laughs> I think the thing that also really stood out to me is that sales, in my opinion, it's not just about literally that sale, but it's about your ability to connect with people. It's about your ability to show up. And it's about how you exude your likability in front of people who might not even know you or know anything about you. And you there and then you need to build trust and credibility. Absolutely. And also something that I really also love is that there's it's not a linear path. There's a million ways to be a good salesperson, which means that you can find your own way. So the beauty of it is that no one can tell you what you're doing is wrong because numbers don't lie. So I can be the most unorthodox salesperson. You can be like, well, Jessica, you're not harding enough. But if the money is green, the money is green. You know, at the end of the day, you are making those sales. And I think in that regard, again, similar to what I said about my parents, I was able to find my own quirk, my own space, my own individuality, my sales team that allow me to do things differently. When 
you can get some really great achievements. I remember my big first sales job, my first commission after a quarter, I got 25,000 pounds. And that was my first commission ever. And I had never had in my bank account more than probably 2,000 pounds at a time after rent. And I was like, I, I, I didn't know what to do with this money. I was just like, am I, am I rich? Like, <laughs> is that real? <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like, what? I don't even know. What do I buy now? You know, like, uh, so it was crazy. And that was just the beginning. Then in one of my sales jobs here in Singapore, I closed to be the highest, most successful salesperson in the history of the company. And I remember that no one had achieved more than 110% in sales in a year. And I negotiated as a joke with my boss at the time. And I said, look, if I pass 110, you're going to give me $20,000. But if I go to 120, you're going to double it. And he was like, okay, yeah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And lo and behold, I closed at 123% of my target. First ever in history. You know, I remember I was in India on holiday and the deal that closed it was $51,000. And I got it over text. I closed it over WhatsApp. You know, I was just like, <laughs> I think they heard me screaming from oh India to Singapore. Um, <laughs> And also those thrills that you get on sales, like the highs, the highs in sales are high. The lows are low, but let's focus on the highs. You know? um, it's really, really great. Now so, tell yeah. us about the lows. We want to hear the lows too, because we keep it real on this podcast. So as much as it's exhilarating to see six, seven digits in your bank account, but let's talk about the lows as well. I mean, sales is a career of rejection, right? So it's essentially swallowing your ego constantly and getting doors shut on your face. It's essentially putting a ton of work, emails, building relationships, someone telling you, yes, sure, no worries. You know, you have run rates, pressure. You're telling your manager, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then a minute before it needs to come, it flops, you know? It is feeling the pressure of that target, like breathing in the back of your neck. And sometimes it's not only you, it's also your team, you know, targets a lot of the times are collective. And if you're not meeting targets, you're letting everyone else down. So it's a high pressure, high intensity job with a lot of rejection and a lot of swallowing your own ego and a lot of just taking it in the chin and just keep going. But again, you can translate that really easily into life. You know, how many times do we not get rejected when by things that are actually really important to us? And a lot of people don't know how to deal with that rejection or how to deal with criticism or deal with things that affect your ego because you've worked so hard for. And I think sales in a way has taught me to grow a bit of a thicker skin and say, okay, well, you know what? Maybe it's not this door. It'll be the next one. And I remember someone told me something that I'll never forget. And is that in sales, and actually I believe that this is in life, but I'm going to say in sales, everything is a numbers game. Okay. So let's assume that it takes 10 phone calls for me to make a sale. Nine will be a no and one will be a yes. It doesn't matter if you get nine no's because they're getting you closer to your yes. When they told me that it kind of like shifted my, my perspective because I was like, I am grateful for the no's because I need them too. You know, like it's going to happen in 10 phone calls, no matter what. So I need to burn those nine so I can get to the 10. So sometimes it's nine, sometimes it becomes 18 and then you get to, you know, sometimes like when it rains, it pours, but you just need to ensure that you're just keep going and keeping those numbers and your metrics in your head. And it's exactly like that. You know, I truly believe that that's the case. You plant that seed and you keep going. 
I think we're convinced. I think it's definitely a skill that we definitely need to level up on ourselves. Janice, what do you think? Oh, amen to that. I mean, it does definitely sound like something that's applicable to daily life, whether you're a sales professional or not, right? It's a never say die attitude. I fall down, I get back up. Keeps you humble. Yeah, exactly. Keeps you humble. Fail nine times, succeed the 10th. It's all just one step closer towards sealing the deal. So that's a really good nugget of wisdom right there, Jessica. Thank you. (laughs) So Jessica, I'm sure many of our listeners and Janice and myself included, we are extremely curious to know what is a day in the life of a chief of staff and a protege to Chachi looks like for you? Wow. Sometimes I don't even know what the days look like. They are so intense and so ever-changing. There's no day like any other. That's essentially the, the truth. A chief of staff at one is a little bit different than your traditional chief of staff role. Here, essentially what it means is that if Chatri had a third arm, I am that arm. So what he does is that he appoints me to work on what he calls special projects and to run them almost independently. He essentially uses me as a little bit of a Swiss army knife that can do a little bit of everything. And it will either go work in a project that needs a bit of rescuing. So it might not be performing really well, or maybe someone that can give a third opinion or outsider view on like maybe what we could do different to grow it, to change it, to twist it, to fix it. Or it could be a special project that it might not be in the budget. It might not be in the plans, but that he believes that it could be a really good strategy for or focus for the next year. So in those cases, and I'm, I'm working one of those at the moment, you are pretty much a one-man band. You need to then go and, and take IP and help from all the other de- little departments. And I guess this is why he thought that I really needed to have people skills because I'm essentially like adding to people's workload so they can help me with my load, which is a project that is not really in the plans, but I need to make it happen. And it's just working with the teams, a little bit of marketing, a little bit of ops, a little bit of running, management, hiring, you know, like figuring that out. And that's essentially what it is. It's a lot of different changes and calls. It's all hands on deck. Everyone works crazy amount of hours. And I mean, The Apprentice was definitely a good training ground for it. And how has it been like working alongside Chatri? Look, at the beginning, I was still liking camera. I, I couldn't swap this idea that he was not my judge almost for like a few weeks, you know, becoming a little more human and more real. And, you know, like just talking to him, like any other person, it was a little bit hard. Now we're in a complete different place, of course. And, you know, I, I run a lot more independently and I'm a lot less scared. Um, not a hundred percent less scared. I'm still very scared, <laughs> but it's impossible to not be scared of him. I mean, like Chatri is what you see on TV. He is really tough but also really inspirational and and really kind. So, you know, a lot of times like he will just say how it is and he just really won't care at all about your feelings and you just need to kind of like breathe and take it. And then sometimes, you know, he'll understand and then he'll listen and say, you know what, you're right. Or like, he'll actually celebrate you for what you did because he thinks that it was amazing or he'll be disappointed and then just call a meeting with everyone and give an hour speech that is incredibly inspirational and full of wisdom. So that's, it's very much how he is. It's admirable to see how fast he thinks and keeping up is is a job on its own because he just jumps from idea to another and he comes up with like the most intrinsic conclusions from just a, a comment or a one minute presentation it's, it's amazing like how fast his brain works. He's an incredibly smart, switched on guy. He definitely knows what he's doing. And even just listening to him when he's 
maybe I'm shadowing him and he's just talking and it's about something that has nothing to do with me. I am sure I'm absorbing IP. It's very much like a very steep curve, really intense, really um, scary. He's a tough leader, but he's a leader after all. He definitely inspires people around him. Even through some of the episodes that we have seen on The Apprentice, right? He really goes beyond like the business challenge at hand and he actually talks about real life lessons. But I think one scene that really stood out to me was when he went like, you bombed, you bombed and you, oh my, it's like seared into my brain. So I'm like (laughs) amazed at how you're handling all of this right now. And of course, we will talk to you about what it's like to handle and, and manage pressure. So evidently, as we've seen on The Apprentice, you have navigated the pressures of the arduous physical challenges, and all of these very, very intellectually demanding business challenges as well. And now that you have essentially won the role of the lifetime, you have to take on a different kind of challenge. You know, we can only imagine the type of pressure and and different expectations that you are carrying on your shoulders. How have you been managing all of these pressures, be it intrinsically within yourself or even, you know, extrinsically now that you have all these fans who are watching from all over the world? How are you dealing with all of that pressure? You know, <laughs> I feel like a lot of the times we think that we need to have all the answers. And sometimes the people that succeed are the ones that are able to perform without having the answers. I believe that a lot myself. I've gone through waves of pressure. I think when I first started at one, is the first time it's very rare that you join a job and people have watched you for eight weeks, know your entire life, have an opinion if you should have won or not. On top of that, now you come from reality TV and maybe there's people inside that would have won the job that you won. And now you're even not only getting their job, you're probably going to be, get, be paid way more than them. So I entered this company already, like not only nervous about making sure that Niharika and Chatri were happy with the decision that they made and that I delivered, but also like I had all this pressure around everyone else. And I remember I would walk around the office sometimes and people would be like, hi, Jessica. And I was like, hi, who are you? (laughs) You know, and to me, I've I've forgotten, you know, I, I know I was on TV. I know people have seen me, but to me, I'm just Jessica. So like that took a little bit of, of, of adjusting and, and getting comfortable with it. And also, again, my imposter syndrome, not taking over and realizing, you know what, I did go on the show and they know my life story and I'm proud of my life story. And if they like me, great. And if they don't like me, that's also great. I am sure that if they give me a chance, they'll be pleased with me. I just kind of like had to tell that to myself and just like let go. Now, pressures that I have today in terms of the role and performing and even like what you said, going on Netflix and now all of a sudden my social media exploding and messages from people. There's days that I feel the pressure a lot. There's days that, you know, I will just mute the Zoom call. I'll turn off my camera and I'll have a little cry. You know, like, I'm not going to lie to you. There are days that get to me. And then there's days that I just lay in bed and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm still figuring it out. But I think a lot of us think that success or confidence or even just like inner peace will come the moment that you are finally okay. The moment that you're not stressed, the moment that you're not uh, anxious. And actually, I think it's the complete opposite. Actually, I think it's the people that make it are the ones that are okay to perform and show up and still go to work and do their best, even though they are stressed and anxious and insecure and, and, you know, and lost and maybe like not really sure what to do. And I think that that's the difference. It's essentially just showing up. 
We really appreciate you keeping it so real with us. And the fact that you highlighted that even though on paper, you are the glittering like winner, survivor, athlete, champion, business pitcher, you have days where you're just exhausted, overwhelmed. And you also talked about, you know, the fact that you also go through imposter syndrome. So normalizing these conversations and to just remain authentic and letting people know that it's okay to not have everything figured out. Coming from the apprentice winner, I think that really speaks a mile. And I'm very sure that all of our listeners who tune in today would be so very moved and they would, they would take away so much from that. So thank you so much, Jessica, for that. Thank you. I'm glad. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also very grateful that you took the time to, you know, still show up so fully. And honestly, even if, if you didn't tell us that you had like a full back-to-back day, I wouldn't be imagining that you were like just totally zapped out. So you know what? Like, thank you for showing up for Sarah and myself. And also for being one of our few guests who actually took the time to listen to our episode and get to know us a little bit more. (laughs) We're so appreciative of that. (laughs) No, it was actually lovely to hear your stories. And also I love to hear stories of, you know, other empowered women that are following their dreams and doing things differently. It's also really commendable. And even just putting yourselves out there to do this podcast, you know, that takes guts. So I also need to learn a lot from from you guys. So it was actually amazing to listen. And I'm really, really, really grateful that you guys invited me to speak here today. Well, we're so glad for the opportunity to chat with you today, which leads us to our International Day feature. We have a few more rapid fire questions for you in conjunction with International Women's Day in the month of March. And as you know, the theme this this year is on breaking the bias. So you are one of a lineup of strong, independent, powerful girl bosses for the month. And we have three final questions for you before we wrap up. So the first one is, what is one bias that you would like to break? I would like to break the bias around labels of women. I hate being put into a box of like, I'm supposed to be a certain way just because I am a professional. I cannot be young and playful and just go out with girlfriends and have cocktails or because you're a mom, you cannot dress a certain way or because you have children, but you're a single mom, you know, like we can be everything we want and nothing and everything in between. Like essentially I am an onion full of layers. I'm a multifaceted woman and every woman around me is too. And that doesn't make them any less of a woman than any other. So if I could break any bias, it'd be that. I am incredibly passionate about it. And I, 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 ah, preach crazy. (laughs) Amen to that. And the second question is who is a woman that inspires you the most and why? I mean, it has to be a hundred percent my mom. Like uh, she has conquered so many different battles and she continues to do that today, you know, after like breaking her marriage after 30 plus years and, you know, being completely lost, essentially rebuilding her life from scratch and moving outside of a country, which she's been incredibly scared of. Like, it's just something that I admire a lot, but something that I really love. So if I were to take away all the traumas and everything that I just mentioned is how kind, loving and giving she is. She is a person that has always taught me that you get more out of life with sugar than with vinegar. And she is the epitome of that. People gravitate to my mom like bees to honey. She is just so sweet and so nice that I just feel like no one dares to not be nice to her, you know? And in that regard, I've learned so much from her because I can be very sharp and I can be just like, no, unacceptable, you know? And sometimes actually that doesn't necessarily mean that you're right. So that's a lot of, of, that elegance, that kindness, that tranquility that she kind of gives, I feel like it's something that I admire a lot and something that I strive to be more like every day. And I'm sure she's very proud of what you've become and the woman that you are today. 
And one final question for you, Jessica. What is one message that you'd like to share with all the women around the world on this occasion? Dare to be unapologetically yourself. I think we are constantly, like I said, put in boxes, but a lot of the times the ones that hold the key is ourselves. So if you want to be tomorrow confident, you just need to walk more confidently. You just need to believe it yourself and you know, embrace your joy, but do it with pride and fall in love with it. And don't be sorry. The moment that you kind of like let go of that fear of what people are saying, or if what you're doing is good enough, or if it's right, or will I belong? Like, I guarantee you that your tribe will form, you know, people will gravitate towards you because let me tell you a secret. Everyone is incredibly insecure. Everyone wants to be confident. And when they see someone confident, they're like, I want to be like that person. So I'm going to get close to it. So just fake it until you make it, believe it, love it, embrace it and be it. And that's it. That's all we need to do. I've cracked the code. If you guys know how to do it, tell me, but I don't, you know, I'm trying. <laughs> We're pretty sure that you've cracked the code and all we need is like a glass of martini to toast to that, Jessica. Yes. We can pop some champagne. <laughs> <laughs> so on the note, Jessica, as we are reaching the end of our very, very insightful, captivating, entertaining episode as well, we'd like to ask you, where can our guests find you? So at the moment, everyone can find me mostly on Instagram. I would say it's the only platform that I truly use. And my handle is I am Jessica Romella. I try to put a mixture of my everyday life, a little bit of, you know, humble inspiration. I share a bit of my journey. And then I just share some really badass, nice pictures of me because why not? And then that's it. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jessica. We're so incredibly proud and grateful that we can share your wisdom with everyone as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. If you've stuck around to the end of this episode, we want to say thank you for exploring with us. And if you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and most importantly, share this episode with your friends. We'd love to hear from you. So you can also connect with us on Instagram using the Instagram handle Explore This Podcast. A-C-T-S-P-L-O-R-E This Podcast. New episodes for Explore This drops every Monday at 8pm. See you then!